0: We're so grateful for your support. Uh, This program is brought to you by the Turner Foundation, which you can find at theturnerfoundation.com. They present this program. And you can always find us at goodlifetelevision.org. Many of you are from all over the world, 98 countries, all 50 states, just in the last 12 months. So we're so gratified by your support. We're so grateful for those of you who watch locally here in Santa Barbara, California, where we're sitting. And uh, so thank you for, for all of that. And you can also find us at all the social media platforms, Good Life TV, Good Life Television. So we'd love to have you follow us there. I'm, I'm really excited about my guest today. Uh, Stephen Barber is with me. Welcome, sir.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: Uh, let me just give a little bit of background. Uh, Stephen is a director, producer, writer, filmmaker. He's, he's done some amazing projects that we're going to talk about um, using story and the power of story, his power of storytelling in film. Uh, but let's go back to where you started um, how did you end up you're in a military school for three years you're at western kentucky how'd you end up in california making movies
1: well it's funny my father we actually moved to montecito when i was a kid because my father mm-hmm. yeah just briefly because my father worked for general motors and he worked on the moon buggy so oh. he came out here for a couple of years so i got the flavor as a child you know nice. this is not a bad place to start yeah. uh, then we ended up going back to upstate new york Uh, Because my father worked at General Motors, he got tired of that. He wanted to be uh, kind of a big fish in a small pond. He was from upstate New York. He'd been with General Motors about 18 years. And it didn't see much lateral movement there. So he decided to move the family to Woodstock, New York, where he ran a company called Rotron as an engineer. So I started there. And literally, when I graduated from high school, um, my grades weren't that good. (laughs) So I wasn't accepted to a lot of colleges. I'll be real honest. So Western Kentucky was very excited about having me because I was in, I was out of state tuition. So that's the truth. Uh, I, I'd love to tell you that I'm a Rhodes Scholar, but but I wasn't. So I ended up in Kentucky. I did really well when I was down there. I got my Bachelor of Arts. And then I said, you know, I loved California as a kid. I want to come back out here. So I came out in 84. I literally, I came out during the Olympics. That was kind of my graduation present. And I've been here ever since.
0: And what did you start doing? What well, I like
1: do? everybody, I came out here to be an actor. To, right. But I never, I, was, I had a degree in TV and radio production, so I really wanted to be a disc jockey. But in 1984, I mean, radio, terrestrial radio was, was kind of at a zenith, so you couldn't get on KLOS and you couldn't get on KMET. You, you had to be number one in Chicago to get on the air in Los Angeles, which is not the case now. They'll take, you and I could start tomorrow. It's a, it's a whole <laughs> different deal. So I kind of, that dream kind of fell apart. And then I started doing acting because people said, well, you look like an actor. I was like, okay, fine. And I did okay. I did a bunch of extra stuff. I worked on General Hospital, and I worked on One Life to Live, and I worked on Santa Barbara, a TV show called Santa. And I never liked it. But what I did learn, which was interesting, was I liked the guy that was barking out all the orders. I liked the director. I liked that guy. I said, you know what? That's the job to have. So that kind of set the seed in me, because it never really occurred to me to make a movie until that happened. Uh So I'd had a little background. I'd been on maybe 30 or 40 sets as an extra. So I got to see the director's work and I was always impressed with it. I was like, if I was ever going to do that, forget the acting thing. That's the job. The guy who's giving out all the orders. Right. So that's how it kind of started.
0: Fascinating. Um, and then you ended up on cruise ships.
1: Yeah. You know, one day I'd been out in LA three or four years and, uh, I was literally going down the 405 and I just said, this is horrific. Now this is 40 years ago, (laughs) it's still horrific. And I went, I got to do something. I really, and this was before the internet and I had seen an ad and maybe, um, I think it might've been screen daily or uh, a thing called drama log. And in the little back, little tiny ad said, you know, disc jockey, cruise ship, Alaska. And I was like, I'm in, you know, I called this guy up. I remember his name, his name was Don Blanton. And I went down to Huntington beach and I walked in and Don said, when can you start? I'm like tomorrow, he goes, can you start today? And I said, "Yeah." He said, "I need you to fly out tonight. The ship leaves tomorrow." So that was the beginning. No way. Yeah, that was the beginning of a twelve-year adventure on cruise ships. In fact, Gavin McLeod, who was the just died three days yes. ago, yes. Gavin was a good friend of mine. I'd met him really? on many ships, and um, so I started this. I was on ships before the Love Boat. You know, yes. I did my so that that ship went to uh, Ketchikan, Juneau, Sitka, Skagway, Glacier Bay, and I was the disc jockey on a, a ship called. It was a Sitmar ship. Uh, which no longer exists. It was kind of uh, Princess absorbed their last four ships, but it was a very regal Italian cruise line that no longer exists. So that's how I started my cruise career. I did that on and off for like 12 years. I ended up working on 17 ships. Wow. So I've seen the world, it's it's round. It's yeah, round.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was reading ten million nautical miles. At, at you, least. At that's least. amazing. Yeah,
1: that was asleep. I don't know what I did awake, but yeah.
0: And and you did write a novel. A I Wrote a book.
1: Novel. That's how I kind of got into Hollywood. I wrote a book called Below the Waterline, which is on Amazon right now. I think I've sold about four hundred and twenty-two books in the last ten years. You know, it doesn't. It's not it's not a huge seller, but it should be. But it's a very good book. It's about a guy who basically goes to sea and finds love and finds redemption. And I wrote it with this great guy named Jack Krennic. Uh, who was uh, a model for years and years and years and Jack and I became great friends and Jack's out of the business now he uh, he was actually very big with back in the 70s with Tom Selleck and Corbin and he was one of those uh, supermodel guys and uh, when I told him the story about some of my exploits he goes man this is a novel let's turn this into a screenplay and that's how I got in really got into Hollywood because I took the book once it was finished to Merv Griffin who's no longer with us but everybody remembers Merv Griffin Wheel of Fortune many others, The Merv Griffin Show, and he optioned it for 15,000 bucks, yep. which I thought, oh man, I'm in, I'm retired. You know, Merv <laughs> Griffin optioned my book. And then he sat on it for three years, nothing happened. And then he passed away and then I got the rights back. But, uh, oh, it's, okay. you know, one day that's my, one yeah. day we'll turn it into a movie
0: below the waterline. Yeah. So you came back to Hollywood in the mid nineties and, and you, you, you did a few different things, Right. but the one I want to talk about was your first film. Uh, Return to Tarawa, right. um, an award-winning documentary that has had an impact, not just f- from the people who've seen it, but what's happened because people saw that story. But this is the story of, of, of it's a story of redemption and healing of a ninety year ninety year old World War II veteran named Leon. Cooper correct tell us a little bit about
1: this magical movie. I had met Eddie Albert 25 years ago on a mountain bike ride remember uh, some folks your, your, your audience might be too young but Eddie Albert was a huge actor in the 40s and 50s major but you he, he acted with he was with Ronald Reagan he worked with the you know Humphrey Bogart he worked with the biggest in the world but he's known for a TV show called Green Acres which yep. people know yep. uh, he was a real hero in fact he should have he received the uh, Silver Star but he should have received the Medal of Honor He saved 80 Marines in this battle called Tarawa. I'd never heard of it, but I had seen him on a bicycle ride. And the funny thing was that I met Tom Hanks five minutes before Eddie. And I kind of, yeah, I kind of circled Tom and I literally dropped a book off at his house below the waterline to see if he'd be interested. Now this is before I knew anything, right? And he was none too pleased that I dropped the book off. He's like, (laughs) nah, you gotta go through my agent, but you know, good luck. And literally five minutes later, I ran into Eddie Albert, literally. Eddie was 95, he looked just like he did on the TV show. He was as affable as a guy could be. I said, you know, I'm a writer, I'd love to come interview you. He's like, heck yeah, come on over. Everybody thinks I'm dead, this is great, absolutely. Did a story on him. Uh, Nobody ever bought the story, but he and I became great friends. I would go over every Friday and have lunch with him. And he was battling Alzheimer's. And he would sometimes know me, sometimes not, but that went on a couple of years. And he was just this lovely, amazing American hero. Mm. And he literally saved, so he told me about this battle. And I, luckily, I I, I videotaped him. I had a buddy of mine back then who had a video camera. This is 98. And I had that videotape, so we used that in the movie. We went for the second one until they were home. And we used that footage of Eddie. It's real grainy. and of not that professional but it, it looks in a documentary format yeah. it looks it looks like you actually did that right you went out of your right. way to make it look like this right right and uh he if i had not you know it's funny how life is if i had not ridden my bike by that man that day i wouldn't be sitting here with you i right. mean it's i mean that trajectory took me to you know building monuments and making movies and you know quite incredible uh, yeah and he, he lived in 99. And he lived till 2007 or 2008. Yeah.
0: Wow. So that's how you found out about Tarot. That's how
1: I found out about it. And then literally uh, years later, years later, 10 years later, I was at the uh, book fair at the universe at the uh, USC now, but it was at uh, UCLA. And I, I like people over 90 and under six and like everybody else is suspect. Right. <laughs> so I saw this 90 year old guy sitting by himself in a booth. And I walked over to him and I said you know what are you doing old-timer he's like remember who are you call old-timer you know and I'm like oh I love this guy and then he had a book about Tarawa and it just I was like were you in Tarawa He goes, I was in that battle I saw 6,000 people murdered and I'm like oh my god did you know Eddie Albert I yeah I saw him in the lagoon dragon marine I'm like oh my you know just couldn't believe it so that's how it started he and I became good friends uh, about eight or nine months into it he bootstrapped the whole thing He uh, he, he gave me $200,000, and it's really? amazing what you can do with $200,000. So we made this incredible movie. Ed Harris yeah. knew, knew Leon. He loved Leon. Ed narrated it for us. He went on. He was such an affable guy. He went on the Larry King show with us. Wow. Um, he's helped support us, and then he narrated two or three more, more movies with us. Wow. With, but he, he didn't really like me that much, but he liked Leon. <laughs> I mean, he liked me, but he loved Leon. He wasn't doing it for me he did it for Mr. Cooper but uh, that took us to Until They Are Home with Kelsey Grammer and then that that, then I kind of skyrocketed my career in documentaries I did we did a movie called Unbeaten the world's longest wheelchair race in fact uh, my producing partner Robert Farrell is here right now he he was inspirational in making that happen it was his friend Jeffrey Erickson who who's left us uh was uh the inspiration to do that movie and it's just been going ever since you know wow yeah
0: let's go back to Tara for a second so Talk about what happened after this. You, you, you before we came on air, you were talking to me about you got a phone call from a. Well, what
1: happened was is the power of the narrative. Yeah. Like what you're doing right now. Yeah. What you and I are doing. Somebody's watching this. Somebody's looking at this right now, and they they may have an uncle or a, a cousin that was in the Battle of Tarawa or a grandfather. Right. But I mean, you just don't know. Right. So what happened was uh, I really hit a home run with that movie. It, uh, Discovery Channel picked it up. And Military Channel played it for like three years. I mean, it, millions of people saw it. Yeah. And what happened was there was an Alderman Balser, a guy named Mike Balser out of Chicago who was a Marine. And he was in Hamburger Hill in Vietnam and, you know, you know, all gun ho And he called me up one day. He's like, you know, Steve Barber. And I said, yeah? He said, my name's Alderman Balser. You're telling to tell me there's 500 Marines still buried on that island? I said, about eight or 900. And he said, unacceptable. And he hung up on me. And I'm like, okay, whatever that was. I mean, I had no idea what that was about a year later, I get a call from Congressman Lipinski, Dan Lipinski, out of Chicago. And he said, this guy Balser called me. He was really upset. He wanted to bring these Marines home. So I passed this bill and we got a $1.3 million of congressional legislation money. And we're going back to Tarawa with 17 Marines. Do you want to go?
0: <laughs> I was like, sure. Wow.
1: I mean, I couldn't believe it. And that's when we filmed until they were home, the second movie. And I would have never th- thought about doing that movie because Tarawa was 20,000 miles from here. It's... On the other side of the earth, it's not a, it's not a beautiful place. Right. It's a bad place, and uh, I was not interested in going back. But then, of course, you know, then I raised some more money, to do that. So uh, it's like I said, it's been going ever since.
0: And how did you, how did you end up working with Kelsey Grammer on this?
1: Well, Kelsey, I, real, you know, I could tell you that we were best friends. It was nothing like that. He was sitting in a restaurant, Marmalade, in uh, in in uh, Malibu. He was sitting next to me and uh yeah you know, i live river. in l.a right he was sitting <laughs> next to me and i walked up to him and i gave him my card and of course i hit him up for some money it's that's what i do it's like you know if, if you're a multi-millionaire i'd like to help you take some of your ill-gotten gains and you know and move <laughs> it into some good stuff put it to good work and he couldn't have been nicer he's like steve i don't give out money i mean everybody hits me up for money but he called me he goes i looked at your work i love leon i love I me mean, actually ed harris is a dear friend he says if you need my voice i'm in so that's how that happened, and he's wow. done he's done three or four, he's done a couple of Wounded Warrior commercials for me. He's just a really lovely guy. Nothing bad to say about Kelsey. Good heart, good-hearted guy. Wow, it's not easy to get money out of, but he's he's his voice is good. Right. Voice is worth a million bucks. Right. So that's right. how that worked. That's out. Yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Uh,
0: but l- let's talk about Unbeaten because I, I we actually have a special needs child, and so it kind of grabs my heart a little yeah. bit to hear about. A project like this but talk about kind of the heart of unbeaten and how it came to be
1: well once again my, my producing partner who's here Bob Farrell, had a good friend named Jeffrey Erickson they've been friends for 20 years uh, they've been sailing together uh, Jeffrey had uh, become a quadriplegic and uh, a motorcycle wreck Jeffrey was really cool about it that Jeffrey didn't get down he goes look man I've been drinking I hit the wrong turn I you know I broke my back you know and he he moved on with his life he goes it was my fault you know and then he found out about this race where you could to push your wheelchair 300 miles in six days, 55 miles a day in wheelchairs. So he did it four or five, six years. And one one year I used to see him in my garage working on Bob's car, which was just really bizarre because he was all arms. The guy was like Popeye. Right. But he was in a wheelchair and he'd have this car popped up. I'm like this. Nothing stops this guy. This guy's doing a brake job on my buddy's car. <laughs> And one day, we never really spoke. I mean, i would seen him throughout the years. And one day, he just wheeled his chair up, man. He's, he goes, hey, I hear you know people with money. <laughs> I said, maybe. And he's like, I know a couple guys. He goes, well, I need you know a few grand to do this race. And I said, you know what? And I stopped every, you know, it was funny because the story, this is interesting because I was busy pitching the Steve Barber book and the Steve Barber movie and blah, 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 right? When I stopped to help a guy in a wheelchair, completely selflessly didn't want anything on It wasn't trying to get any. wasn't. Didn't even think about a movie. I was just trying to help this guy get a few grand to do this race. Uh, my whole world exploded. When I helped this guy selflessly, I took it to JP Dejoy, the CEO of Paul Mitchell, who I'd known. He's like, Steve, here's 25 grand. Go up there, get some video. We'll put it up on the website. You know, the internet was new. Social media was new. It was 2007. I you was know, so we'll throw it through. We'll put some stuff on this thing called the Facebook. Right? right, <laughs> like, right okay. Right. We'll put it on the Facebook. Right? And when I went up there. I had bought a camera i had never shot a movie when bob and i were driving the very first scene was jeff going down this parks highway at 40 miles an hour it was just no way. unbelievable so we're uh, i was like you know bob's driving I'm like dude look in the viewfinder look what... he we both looked at each other this is a movie like absolutely so we ended up shooting as much as we could uh did as, did an okay job it wasn't great but we did what we could because we didn't expect to shoot a movie uh we only had one camera lots of stills and we took it to an editor and he said you know what i can bring all the racers back in and we can kind of relive the story, use your still shots, use the video you shot and we could tell a story here. Yeah. And that's what we did. Wow. So that movie ended up getting, um, on the Oscar shortlist. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like all this happened. I, I'd love to tell you that I'm this unbelievable filmmaker and I've got all this talent and I, I went to film school. None of that's true. I'm but, just on yeah. a very divine path that things yeah. have gotten done, you know?
0: Well, and, and you make things happen. It's, in fact, this one article I was reading about you, it says, when, when director, producer, writer, and filmmaker Stephen Barber gets, makes, gets his mind made up to do something, move over. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some, you, somehow you put something I have a thing, lot yeah. of passion. Yeah. And really,
1: if you have a lot of passion, if you have a vision, it, it's not always going to happen, and it might always not be what you want to happen, but something will happen right whatever that you know like I know we're going to talk about the monuments in a little bit it never occurred to me to build a monument this is just my journey on a daily basis so getting up every morning and swinging the bat and America's just this amazing country I mean it's still an amazing country no matter what anybody says if you have an idea and you have passion and you have vision you can get it done it might not be what you wanted but it could be something very good
0: And even better, and even better, yeah, which
1: has happened to me, yeah,
0: yeah. And I and before we get to 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 this project, I we were talking about this earlier too. But the power of story, there, there, there's everybody has a story. Mm -hmm. Some of our stories are together, like a Tarawa or or these great folks in the Unbeaten movie. But what is it about story that, that that grabs people, that moves people, that? Well, I've always, I, this
1: is just my opinion. I remember thinking, why is America so amazing? Why have we sent people to, pl- why, why have we been to Mars? Why have we been to the moon? Why, we've only been here 250 years. I mean, right. Greece has been around three 4,000 years. Rome's been around 3,000 years. You know, per, I mean, all these other countries have been around thousands of years. But I, I, I liken it back to the Constitution, you know? You know, we the people. You know, it's like this, mm-hmm. that piece of paper, that story, even still today. Yeah. The Constitution resonates with so many people 250 years later. That it's really that that document and it was divinely inspired it was yeah. written by yes. you know Washington and Jefferson and you know button Gwinnett don't forget button Gwinnett you know and 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 these these stories and that concept to this day people argue over the Constitution you know every yeah. single day so and in and, and the story of Christ I mean look at the story yeah. of Christ there was no internet back then I mean that right. story's gone around you know that must have happened you know, that's all right. I can figure. Right. I mean, I wasn't there. It's had a Yeah, but I mean, yeah. I mean, look at that story. I mean, and, and, you know, it's unbelievable to me. So yeah. story, if it resonates with the right people, it just kind of explodes, and it just keeps moving, you know? And
0: you know it's powerful of when Jesus wanted to teach, he used story. Well, exactly. The Bible's full of right. this.
1: And right. I wasn't there, and I mean, I, I love the story of Christ, but I can't prove that. It's all faith, right? Yeah. It's all faith. Right. I can't prove that happened, but boy, I, I'm about... One hundred percent sure it's happened right. because how you know how could it right. have gone this how could it have gone two millennia? And yeah. it's still the same story. Right. It hasn't you know, right. so interesting stuff.
0: Well, I want to talk about this this monument that we're we're looking at here on set mm-hmm. that you probably can see this statue. Uh, that's
1: Jack Swigert that he's now that's an original mock-up that weighs about seventy pounds. It's gold and bronze. The Lundeen sculptors made that. Now, Jack's been standing 7 feet tall at the, actually 12 feet tall, at the Capitol for 25 years. Kevin Bacon played him in the movie, so people okay, can relate to yeah. who he is. He died of a horrific cancer in 1982. He had just won a seat to Congress, but he died wow. of cancer. He's only 62. So uh, the Lundeen sculptors built that, and I had seen that 12 years ago doing a shoot for the Marine Corps, and it was a pro bono shoot. I tried to get paid, but nobody would pay me. I said, I'll, I'll do it on my own dime and it cost me a couple grand, but it was the best 2,000 bucks I ever spent because I saw that monument Mm. and it stuck with me. So when I decided to try to build a monument, I I, I reached out to the Lundeen Sculptors out of Loveland. I wouldn't have known where to to look otherwise.
0: Yeah, so this is, so in 2018, you envisioned, fundraised, commissioned, and then unveiled $750,000 gold and bronze monument of the crew of Apollo 11 at the Kennedy Space Center for the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: my my wife has this great adage that sometimes uh, s- success sneaks through the back door disguised as failure, yeah. and that was one of those days where I had had this project with Buzz Aldrin, the second man on the moon, yeah. who I've known for years, go down. They decided that they, for many reasons, we couldn't do this documentary that I've been working on a couple of years, and I was crushed. And I was like, oh my God, we're ten months away from the fiftieth anniversary. You know, I was gonna sell this to, you know, Discovery and whatever. I had all these dreams, right? Gone, like that. Wow. So I took a bike ride, just took this mountain bike ride and I had this epiphany in the middle of the bike ride to build monuments. I can't tell you where it came from. Can't tell you why it came. And then and then, as I'm driving, I'm thinking, well, this is a great idea. I'll build 12, 12 of these guys, 12 of the guys that landed on the moon. And then as I'm riding down the hill, I'm like, well, this is not a good idea. I'm sure somebody's built these monuments. These are the guys nobody had built any monuments every rapper every basketball player every baseball player has a monument you have a monument I have a monument the guys, these guys didn't have monuments couldn't believe it so I you know I got on the phone and I called NASA 67 times I called I really? nobody would pick up the phone I kept calling and calling and calling finally the woman that picked up the phone said Mr. Barber I know you know Buzz Aldrin that doesn't help I we don't make monuments we, we're not artists we we put people into space and, right I said, I know, but this is, you know, we're we're nine months away from the 50th. I think this is a great opportunity. You know, it's a one-time deal. And she's like, well, I can't help you. And literally I'm hanging up the phone and she goes, however, and I heard this, however, I go, yes, you may want to call the Kennedy Space Center. They're more of a theme park. We own them, but we delegate it to a company called Delaware North. They're a concessionaire. They might have room for it. They might be interested. Not knowing anything, I call the Kennedy Space Center. The guy who picks up the phone, his name is Theron Protze. I'm pitching him this deal and he goes, are you the Steve Barber that did the movie Return to Tarawa? I kid you not. No way. I'm like, that's never happened. I said, come on. How, how would you know that? He goes, I'm a Marine. I'm Googling you. You're the real deal. He goes, okay. How much? How, where do you want to put him? <laughs> and I said, I want to put in 12 because we can't do 12. I don't have room for 12. He goes, why don't you stick to the crew of Apollo 11? And if you can get the money for that, I'll put him in. I go, you don't want to pay for him? He goes, no, I don't want to pay. I just spent 10 million bucks refurbishing this place for the 50th but he goes, we're building this moon garden. I knew nothing about it. We're building this moon garden. This could be the centerpiece of our moon garden. He goes, you got 90 days, Barber, And he hung up on me. <laughs> <No> <laughs> I was like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. So then I got on the phone. I had shot a movie with Dan Gilbert who owns uh, rocket mortgage yeah, 10 years earlier, Cavaliers. movie called the carrier. It was the first basketball game on the aircraft carrier, Carl Vincent. I don't make any of this up. So I was the lone filmmaker on that shoot. I had this relationship with Dan Gilbert, who's worth $52 billion and has a company called Rocket Mortgage. Right. Well, that's about as perfect as anything could be, but it took me three months to get them to do it. They weren't—they liked it, but it was really off their course, not what they do. They work with Tiger Woods. They work with golfers. They're real sports-centric, right. right. and everything that Dan does, Dan is literally single-handedly rebuilding Detroit. He's a great guy, a great philanthropist. He's put 10 billion into Detroit already. Wow. And even though I, I grew up a little bit in Detroit because my dad was a general motor engineer and I tried to use that. I'm like, well Dan, I grew up in Sterling Heights. He's like, Barber, that's not gonna work. Because <laughs> I need it to be Detroit centric. Anyway, after as we moved closer and the media started getting pretty big on the 50th, they decided to do it, which was just unbelievable. I couldn't wow. to this day, I couldn't believe. It. And we did Apollo 11. We did a big, gigantic 1,000 people came out for the uh, unveiling. And then I had the idea to do Apollo 12, and they told me no. So I, I contacted Jim Lovell, and we just unveiled Apollo 13. So I just built Apollo 13.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Yeah. So uh, I'm working on Dr. Sally Ride now, the first American woman in space, because through this journey, I realized there are zero monuments to any women at NASA, yeah. which is absurd because 65 women have flown in space, 12,000 women have worked at NASA. And there's not one plaque, there's not one monument, there's not much diversity at NASA, you know, and that needs to change, especially yeah. what's been going on the last year with Confederate monuments toppling and stuff like that. Right. So it's time to build some inspirational monuments. That the people are going to like. So I'm working on Sally Ride. I've already got it half funded, and wow. uh, if anybody's watching, they want to write the other check for 150 grand. I'm, I'm available. Yeah, yeah.
0: And so talking about, I mean, the, the uh, preserving the dream, and kind of.
1: I changed the title. That's the original title. I, the, the The new title of the movie is called "We uh, We Must Be Bold," and it's it's taken from the Kennedy speech at Rice uh, University. Yeah, right. Because in the middle of the speech, he goes, you know, he he says, "I want the United States to land a man uh, on the moon and return him safely to you know to Earth at the end of this decade because we must be bold." And when I heard that, I was like, "Oh man, I love that!" Perfect. So I grabbed that, and um, it was an homage to President Kennedy. And uh, the movie's great. I, uh, I shot another movie, documentary, I haven't sold it yet, but I've got it online. And uh, Patrick Warburton from Seinfeld, oh, fame. Okay. He's, and he's also, people might know him from the, uh, the uh, National Rent-A-Car guy. He, right. uh, and he's on Family Guy, he's got that booming voice. He turned it into a symphony. So the movie's quite good. It's called oh, wow. We Must Be Bold, the building of the Apollo 11 monument.
0: We must be bold.
1: We must be bold, and I have, I have that, I haven't sold it yet, but. Uh, I may never sell it. It's just maybe one, the, the one film I don't sell. I just use it for marketing purposes. But it's really, it's 52 minutes. It's really very good. And now I'm working. I mean, my goal is to build all the Apollo moon missions. I will do it. Wow. I don't know how much time it's going to take, but I've got two done. Yeah. So I need. I got. And where five, will they all go? Well, that's the problem. You know, NASA's kind of, for whatever reason, doesn't want to build anymore. There's a lot of politics. I mean, yeah. the fact that I got these two monuments done is nothing less than a miracle. It's miraculous. I mean, I am not a man of means. I, you know, I live in a nice, you know, place, and I make a decent living. But I'm not Jeff Bezos. So I don't have right. that kind of dough. And uh, I've taken it to the Jeff Bezos of the world. I take it to, you know, but you know, trying. It's never about the money. Everyone I take it to is a gazillionaire. Yeah. You know, it's you have to be. They have to be interested in it. It's got to yep. be part of their their stream of consciousness. Yeah. Which, well, and you're
0: bringing some meaning to them.
1: I try. And, and that's the pitch. You know, It's yeah. like, look, man, this is a legacy piece. You've got right. $10 billion. Right. What are people going to remember you for? Right. You know, Rocket Mortgage, you know, and my thing is I could drop tomorrow and I left two monuments that, you know, right now as we're speaking, thousands of people are looking at my monuments. Right. They're just looking at them right now, right. which right. is just, I wake up every morning and that inspires me. Right. You know, I mean, I actually want, I'd love to put a camera, <laughs> I'd love to get like yeah, a live right. camera, you know, like the Eagle cam. Right. That is right. the Eagle. So I'll have a, you know, an Apollo 11 right. Eagle cam, right? Uh, but I, like I said, it never occurred to me to to make a movie. It never occurred to me, and that's really the story of this interview. Yeah. I never, I didn't come out here to be a filmmaker. I didn't come out here to build monuments to the greatest story in the history of the world. But that was my journey because I got up every morning and I tried to create something. Yeah. I, I never knew. I, I knew what I thought I wanted, but that didn't always work out. But it, in these two particular cases, it worked out better.
0: Yeah. When the I want to be you when I grow up. <laughs> Uh, Maybe not. I don't Maybe know that's not. Happen, but, um,
1: <laughs> can I? You got a back? This is your place, right? Is there a, is there a Steve Barber wing back here? <laughs> yeah. <in>? I can <laughs> move. Can move I can move in right back there. Yeah.
0: We. You know. We. So there is something so powerful about monuments, too. I mean, you've tapped into two really powerful just things, in my opinion: story and monument. You know, the Bible talks about building an altar. You know, the, having a monument where you're honoring someone right. is so good for us. It is. It's so good for us to look back and say this guy did this, this gal did this, let's honor what they did, you know, and not just be about ourselves, me, 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 this moment. Right. You know, TikTok. you know, looking
1: back, <laughs> you know what I mean? TikTok's the antichrist. I'm sorry. I, can, I can't, <laughs> I can I, I, I got on there once and I went down in the rabbit hole. I said, I'm done. Never, <laughs> never again.
0: But you know, that, that, that just gives such perspective you know. to how did we get here? Brian. Who did what to get us here? Well,
1: the the I want to talk about the Lundeen sculptors. I yeah, mean, please. You can see their work there, and they're they're American beyond American. Their father was a glider pilot in World War II. Uh, George and Mark, and Joey Boehner, master sculptor. These these guys are from Nebraska. They live in they live in Loveland, Colorado, which is right next to Wyoming. But they, I when I told, I, when I met Mark, and they believed in me so much. In fact. A great little side story is when I finally, Rocket Mortgage didn't pay right away. It took five months to get the first check. So the Lundians were like, Stephen, we need this money. We got a deadline here. And I'm like, well, it's coming. And they're like, yeah, it's coming. My check's in the mail. But we got to have this dough to get moving. I'm like, well, I can't make it happen any faster than it's going to happen. So we finally got a check in January. And I rushed out to Colorado thinking, "Okay, guys, I want to film this. So do we have a foot? Have you what? They'd already had them up. They were up in clay already. I'm like, I walked in and they looked just like that, but they were in clay and I was stunned. I'm wow. like, I go, George. He goes, ah, Barbara, we knew you'd do it. We knew you'd get the money. We had to start four months ago. We would have never made it the timeline. Wow. Wow. So I, that was the first time anybody, I didn't know these people. I, it was a phone call. I never met this guy. This guy believed in me yeah. more than I believed in myself. They yeah. said, we knew you'd do it. We knew you had the deal. And I was like, wow. I mean, that wow. just, I, I got really kind of teary-eyed. I was like, yeah. nobody's ever believed in me. I said, you guys have made up for every jerk I've ever met in Los Angeles. And there's been uh, many. A few. And they're like, well, we appreciate that. Let's, let's make this happen, you know. Wow. They're like, where's the next check? Right. <laughs> and I said, it's coming. It's in the mail. Right. And we ended up, we did get all the checks. So.
0: That's fantastic. What a career. Director, producer, writer, filmmaker, monument maker. Stephen Barber.
1: Well, I don't make monuments. I commission them. I vision them. I can't draw a stick figure. I don't yeah. have that kind of talent, but that's where it's a huge collaborative, right. you know, where I'm able to reach out. And like the Lundines aren't just the good sculptors. In my humble opinion, they are the greatest American sculptors uh, in this country. Yeah. And it, when I met other sculptors, they all say the same thing. They're like, nobody can do what the Lundines do. And they do yeah. all this. This is all by hand. I mean, there's that's no amazing. CAD, there's no computer-aided drafting, there's no computer. This is their vision from pictures that they pull off the internet. Yeah. And I mean, look how exact, I mean, that oh, is Jack fantastic. Swiker. Yeah. You know, that is amazing. And they're very lifelike and they, they seem to have movement. They actually, I look at that statue and that statue moves to me, mm-hmm. but I'm maybe a little more invested in it than no, most no, people are. Yeah,
0: that's yeah. beautiful. Thank you.
1: Thank you, sir. Great to meet you. Nice to meet you. Congratulations. And you'll on have that Steve
0: Barber wings. The Steve Barber wings will summer? be installed. Yeah. Come <laughs> on, Good boy. Steve Barber, everybody. Terrific. We'll see you next time.